years ago, my wife, uh, Vicki, um, spent several uh, months going back and forth to Arizona where her sister lived because her sister was really struggling with some significant health issues and ultimately she passed away. And during those final few days of her life, uh, uh, they, they were asking several questions of her, but she was not able to respond. And she had not identified uh, really some of her own life issue type of questions. Uh, and, it, you know, Vicki having a, you know, right there being present in the hospital room and having those questions, kind of dealing with all of that, uh, really resurrected in her mind the real need for us to have a will and to identify those kind of things that uh, Alice, her sister's family, was really struggling with because they really didn't know what her wishes were and she was not able to articulate them. And so she comes back from Arizona and first thing is we need to make an appointment with a elder lawyer. Don't you love that name, elder lawyer? You know, it kind of sounds like for old people, right? Well, I didn't feel like I was very old. And here I am marching myself into an elder law attorney and uh, who happened to be in my youth group some 30 years ago. So that made me feel really good. Um, but I digress. Uh, you know, he's, we sit down with him and he starts asking us all kinds of questions that I was not prepared to answer. You know, end of life questions can be really kind of disconcerting. You know, it's like, really? I've got to make that decision? I've got to tell you that? I don't know. How am I going to tell you what I don't even know myself? Um, but it just brought home that reality of how much generally us as people don't really like to talk about end of life issues, do we? Even this morning, this may be a little bit uncomfortable for you. Maybe you're sitting here going, oh, I really need to reach out to an attorney. I need to decide these things. But Paul, through chapter four and on into chapter five, he really is addressing these end of life issues. You know, and if you remember last week where Pastor Russell uh, taught us out of the end of chapter four, and we're gonna reach back there because I think contextually it really helps us. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So for Paul, he says, and, and Pastor Russell did a great job last week of, you know, kind of this, these light momentary afflictions. You know, and we don't want to discount. People's problems are real today, aren't they? I mean, you know, people go through a lot of difficult things and their pain is very real. And you know, there's no one dismissing that reality. But it's in comparison. Paul sees these light momentary afflictions. And if anybody had cause to really say that their experiences here on this earth were anything other than light and momentary, it would be the Apostle Paul, beaten, imprisoned, you know, shipwrecked. I mean, he just went through a gamut of things, didn't he? But it's in comparison to the things of this earth, the problems that we experience here on this earth in comparison to the weight of glory, to what is to come beyond this earth is incredible. So Paul gives us that kind of perspective and it's in comparison to, which leads us to chapter five, verse one. 
For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So I broke our passage down into three large segments this morning. The first is we know, we groan, and we walk. The first one is we know. So Paul says in verse one, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So to know something, just a few years ago, I am confident that everyone in this room would have known what a woman was, right? Nobody would have doubted that. Um, but you know, now in the world that we live in, up is down and down is up. It's just kind of a crazy world that we're living in. We're seeing uh, what one thinks that they know, it just kind of be dissolved. And, and, and things are doubtful now. And the reality is that a lot of the stuff that we see happening in our culture and our society will or is impacting the way people see scripture, the truth of scripture, and lean into what they know as factual. But Paul says, we know, we know these things. He doesn't doubt these, these issues of end of life issues at all. He says, we know. And um, he doesn't, not only says it once, but he says it twice. So what does Paul know? He knows our bodies are temporary. Our bodies are temporary. Paul refers to these bodies as tents. Now, most of us would readily identify a tent being as something that is temporary. Paul was a tent maker in Corinth. So this analogy that Paul uses is clearly understood, right? Uh, just a few months ago, Pastor Russell and I led a team of 40-some plus, uh, plus people from our church to uh, Turkey and Greece, and we visited the archaeological site of Corinth. It was pretty amazing. But you know what wasn't in Corinth? Tents. Uh, tents aren't meant to stick around forever, right? There was a lot of rocks but tents don't last, they're temporary in nature. Uh, I've never been a, a big camper, a big outdoors guy, I'm a city guy, I was raised in Clearwater, Florida, uh, in the city. Um, but when I went to college, I had a couple buddies that were really into camping. They were the outdoors guys. And uh, so much so that one of them went on uh, to work for our park services out west after college. But they, asked me one weekend to go with them camping up in the mountains. I went to a small college in East Tennessee. So we left early after class on a Friday and we were going uh, up to this uh, campsite and it's wilderness camp. I mean, we hiked in a couple hours and found a place to pitch the tent, a small tent, um, and uh, pitched this tent 
And we're there, made a bonfire, and we're having a great time, and it's time to you know, call it a night. So we climb into the tent, and shortly after we climbed into the tent, it started raining. Have you ever been camping in a tent when it starts raining? And I don't mean just drizzling. It started raining, raining hard, so much so that none of us slept throughout the night. Finally got up early morning. We're wet, cold, damp, dreary, and our weekend was a bust. We packed up everything and we ran out to, to our car and headed back to campus. Um, all that to say is, you know, that tent that we were using was not meant to be anything permanent. It was but a temporary dwelling. Paul identifies our bodies as a temporary dwelling. Our bodies are not meant to be permanent. The reality is that we are housed in this tent and it's very real. And there's nothing wrong with taking care of our tent, right? We should take care of our body. But we also need to remember that our bodies are but temporary. I had a buddy some 10 years ago or so that um, was a triathlete. He ran marathons. He was in the gym multiple times a week, probably 10 years younger than I was. But he was the epitome of health as a 40-something-year-old. Diagnosed with cancer and dead in less than a year. Nobody would have predicted that somebody that took such good care of their tent would die so soon. But that's the nature of our bodies. They're just temporary dwellings. They're not meant to be something that's going to last forever. Our pastor emeritus, Pastor Holbrook, who's the guy who hired me that I worked for for almost 20 years, he used to say when he'd do funeral services that you know, that deceased person is graduated. They've graduated to the next thing. I love that analogy. And I heard, I've heard him use it so many times through the years. And it stuck with me. But I also, as a former student pastor and as a young adult pastor, I've done my fair shares of graduation parties on both sides, high school and college. And you know what? I've never been to one of those many, many, many parties and it'd be sad, it'd be mournful. Graduations are exciting. People anticipating the next step, they're, they're future oriented, aren't they? They're, there's something positive about a graduation party. I think that Pastor Holbrook had it right on when he thinks about that person has been graduated and we can celebrate the life of one who's in Christ well, can't we? Knowing that their future home is in heaven. Paul also knows that our lives are eternal. Our lives are eternal. He says, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. So our bodies are like a tent that one day will wear out, they will pass away, but they give way to an eternal reality. There's something eternal with each of us as a soul. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8 says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but also 
all those who love his appearing. Couple things that Paul makes clear here. First of all, there is a future past this life. And it is paramount that we prepare for that future. And second of all, for those that are in Christ, there's a crown of righteousness. And that righteousness is not of our own doing, but it's through the blood sacrifice of our savior, Jesus Christ, that imputed righteousness to us. See, the truth is that death shall not affect us for the worst, but for the better. That we have a better home awaiting for us in glory than we do here on this earth. Paul says in Philippians 1, to die is gain. To die is gain. He sees the reality that this world is temporary. These bodies are temporary. And there's something better on the other side that to die is gain. The second point is we groan. 2 Corinthians 5, two through four. For in this tent, we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that what we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal shall be swallowed up by life. So because we live in this tent, that is temporary, we groan. Now, I don't want you to raise your hands, but I'm quite confident that this morning when you were getting up and that alarm clock rang or whatever it does these days, um, whatever kind of sound you have on your phones, uh, you know, you might have groaned a little bit as you were getting out of bed. Uh, we had our grandkids spend the night on Thursday evening and uh, my grandson noticed that when, they call me Pops, when Pops got out of his Lazy Boy, it, it took a moment. And uh, come on, you guys can, you know what I'm talking about, right? As we age, things don't work exactly. You're looking at me like I'm crazy, man. I'm not the only one that experienced this. You know, as we age, things don't work just like they used to work, right? You know, things take a little longer. And uh, that's just kind of the reality of these tents that we live in. And, and, and because we live in this tent that is dissipating, that is painful, it's getting worse, not better. We have this reality that we groan, which leads Paul to talk about his longing. He longs for a new body. He longs for a new body. In Romans 8, 23 says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. A new, a better body is waiting. Paul is not looking for some kind of utopia here on this earth. He realizes that the tent he occupies is falling apart, it's decaying, but there is something better on the other side Therefore, he longs for that. He longs for that. You know, I'm blessed to work with an incredible group of our senior adults. And I have had the occasion over the past six, seven years to visit several senior adults who are in that, at that end of life stage. And they will share with me, Carrie, I can't wait for my new body. I can't wait for my heavenly home. 
I think it's just such a beautiful picture of exactly what Paul is talking about, that he longs for something different. Now, I, I think that you know, there's a lot, a lot of us here on this earth, as long as God tarries and we are here, we are to maximize our efforts here to be all that God has desired us, designed us to be, the salt and the light of the world, but to realize that these bodies are but tents and that God has something better in store for us. Paul longs to have a new body, a better body, an eternal home. And I couldn't help but think, you know, Paul's teachings are very clear that there is an eternity that awaits all of us, but those that are in Christ, that the eternity is much better, much better than our reality here. And if that is true, which it is true, then why is there so much fighting against that? Why do we have so much angst when it comes to things like death and dying? And I thought about several things. And, and I'm not a proponent of, you know, you know we're, not, we're not trying to race down the end of life at all. You know, I think that God has got us here for a reason. I think some of the reason that we can be so anxious or so unconfident about these end of life issues is that we're not certain about what we do know. Maybe we doubt the word of God. Uh, Maybe for some people, you know, you're a church attender and you recognize that there is a God, but you've never received the God. You know, the, the whole idea of, you know, Jesus being the truth, the way, and the life gets missed on you. And you've never repented of your sin and ran to Christ. Jesus shed his blood for your forgiveness. Maybe this morning, you know, you need to do that and have that confident assurance of your eternal home in heaven. God has made a way. He has made a way for us to experience eternity with him through his shed blood on the cross. It says that Paul says, not naked, this new body is clothed, not naked. Some believe, some, some believe you know, what, what, what does that mean? What does it mean that this whole idea of Paul saying that our bodies, are, you know, some people think that there's this idea of that once we die, that our soul just goes up there and it's just kind of this spirit, you know, just floating around. But I think Paul is very clear here in Corinthians to tell us that we will have a new body. Now, understanding exactly what that new body looks like is a different story but I think it's clear that we will have a new body. And then I think Paul longs for this new body and he longs for his eternal home. In John 14, one through four, it says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way I am going. See, Jesus makes it clear that he is preparing a home for all those who know him as their savior. And Paul longs for that home. It's true that we all have questions 
there's so many things that we don't understand about this new body, about heaven. But the reality is God has given us exactly through his word, exactly what we do need to know, how to come to know him in a personal way and that there will be an eternity in heaven for all those who've trusted Christ as their savior. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. If after that you desire to know more concerning this house, I can but give you the advice which was given by John Bunyan in a similar case. One asked of honest John a question which he could not answer. And for the matter was not opened up in God's word. And therefore honest John bowed his friend to live a godly life and go to heaven and see for himself. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, the things that we don't know, we wait and we trust in a sovereign God. What we do know is that these bodies will only be temporary. We know that these bodies won't be floating around in some kind of formless void. And we know that we will have some kind of body as God has designed it. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. It's kind of like 2 Corinthians 5, 4 in our passage this morning, so that this mortal might be swallowed up by life. I don't know, probably most of you in here have seen a snake eat a mouse at some point, whether it be on video or live. And when that snake eats that mouse, it completely consumes that mouse. The mouse is no more. Well, even so, death will be swallowed up by life and death will be no more. It's a pretty amazing. And then this... uh, We know and we groan and we walk. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 through 8. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us a spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Couple things. Paul walks confidently. He says, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee? The spirit as a guarantee. All those who are in Christ Jesus have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And that Holy Spirit, the presence of the spirit of the living God is our guarantee of a future hope in heaven. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in him who also, when you heard the word of the Lord of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Second Corinthians 1, And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts. Now, I attest, I am not much of a romantic. I don't do really well at those things. And I will tell a story on myself and you will walk out of this room this morning going, he is 100% correct. He is not a romantic. And yet my wife married me. So 
Here's a story. When we were, uh, I met my wife when I was in seminary and uh, we started dating. Long story there, but we started dating and we decided and back, we will be married 40 years in August. So back in that day, you know, we, we talked about marriage. It was not a surprise. We knew we were going to get married and uh, we went together and looked at rings. And this was not that uncommon back then. Uh, we went together and looked at rings. Now she didn't know that I had bought it, I don't think. And uh, she certainly didn't know when I was going to propose, but she knew it was coming, right? So we were visiting my family in Florida, Clearwater. And um, thought this was a brilliant idea at the time. Now, 40 years past, not so brilliant. I get it. But uh, we're walking the, on the beach, uh, Indian Rocks to be exact, and um, I have her ring in my pocket. And um, I have no plan. Guys today have great plans. I don't know what happened, but back then, I don't think this was that uncommon. My buddies, similar. But anyway, we're walking, I have the ring, I don't know when I'm gonna do this, but I see this patch of seaweed. So I scoop down, pick it up, take the ring out of my pocket, put this ring in my, the seaweed. I say, hey Vic, look at this. Yeah, you're getting this really well. So she sees the ring and oh, yeah, that was, that was our proposal. Wasn't it awesome? <laughs> it was just absolutely amazing. But that ring, that ring in that moment was a promise to her that we would one day be husband and wife. Now, it was an imperfect guarantee, right? Because we know that some 50% of engagements end up getting broke up, broken up. But... At that moment, it was the promise to her, it was her guarantee that one day we would be husband and wife. And even after that kind of proposal, she still married me and we're still married 40 years hence. But the Holy Spirit residing in our life is the perfect guarantee to spend an eternity with him in heaven. So if you've crossed over from death to life by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is your savior, then you have that Holy Spirit that is the perfect guarantee that this life is not all there is to it, that there is an eternity waiting for all those who are in Christ Jesus. So he, Paul walks confidently, knowing that he has the Holy Spirit living inside of him, knowing that this is not all there is to it. And there's a future home that he looks forward to. And he also walks courageously. And I believe that because he was so confident in what he knew to be true, it allowed him to walk so courageously. In verse six it says, so we are always of good courage. Verse eight, so we are of good courage. So how should a believer who's convinced that this life is not all there is to it, walk? We should walk courageously, shouldn't we? We shouldn't fear the things of this world because they're but temporary. God has an eternity for all those who are in Christ. And how can we do this? By setting our minds on things above, not the things of this earth. We can become so clouded by focusing in on the things of this world 
instead of our eternal hope in heaven. And then we walk by faith, you know, confidently, courageously, but by faith, by faith in the living God. Paul knows a greater day awaits him. He knows that these afflictions are but temporary and he longs for that better day. But he walks by faith, doesn't he? Not by sight. Walks by faith and not by sight. You know, perception is a funny thing. We are much more likely in our world to rely on all of our senses, taste, touch, smell, hearing. You know, we're, we, we assess all those things, we bring them all in, and then we make some judgments based on all those things. And we do it quite naturally and quite quickly for most of us. But isn't it amazing that we can all have that same experience and we come up with a different conclusion? Pretty crazy. It's the way we're wired. And what's that tell, tell us is that we really shouldn't rely on all those things as much as maybe we do, but we should rely, we should live by faith, not by sight. This folder uh, is a folder from a 2007 ski trip that I led for our college in 20-somethings back in 2007. I've kept it in my files in my office 2007, I took 16, mostly college kids, to Colorado on a ski trip. Um, we had a great time. We had several days, three days of skiing and snowboarding and fellowship and Bible study. I mean, we just had a fantastic weekend. We loaded up our bus. Um, I don't remember what morning it was, but we loaded up our bus. On the bus, it was a charter bus. Uh, even though there was only 16 of us, we were on a big uh, 50 passenger bus. We loaded up on that bus out of Copper Mountain that morning. We headed toward the, toward the airport uh, in Denver. And about two miles, three miles from the airport, what I was told is that the bus encountered a severe wind and the, that wind pushed the bus right off of the road and we rolled down into a ravine. Um, all 16 of us, uh, were transported to area hospitals. Um, we had broken ribs, dislocated shoulder, cuts, bruises. Uh, only one person, praise the Lord, uh, was hospitalized. All the, other, all the rest of us were released. They put us up in a hotel that evening and we gathered together that evening for a meal. And um, At that meal, I asked everybody, I said, would you take a piece of paper? I gave them the paper and pen. I said, would you take this paper and pen and just find a place right here quietly, just, just write out what your day looked like today. Just tell me what happened. Um, I don't even know why I thought that was necessary, but I, I knew that maybe processing it would be healing to some. So everybody wrote it out. Uh, some people wrote pages. Uh, that evening before I uh, went to bed, I read all of them. You know what was pretty fan, uh, uh, interesting about reading those 15 now testimonies is how different they were. Now, we all had the same ski experience. We had, were on the same bus. It was, we were all going the same speed. It was the same weather conditions. But people had a different perception of that, those realities. And what that has taught me 
is that you can't rely on those senses. We walk by faith and not by sight. God calls us to be people of faith, to lean into the truth of God's word, to believe it, and to live it out. Because sight can be confusing, can't it? Those things of this world can be confusing. As I was studying, preparing for this morning, I came across a couple different articles um, talking about, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing to us here in Corinthians, he'd gone through so much heartache in his life, and yet he keeps on sharing the gospel. He keeps on preaching the truth that Jesus alone saves, and he keeps on getting himself in trouble. And so some people would say, you know, well, maybe he was a crazy man because normally when you experience discipline or you experience consequences of behavior, you back down, you stop doing it, right? But I don't think Paul was a crazy man. I think Paul was 100% committed to what he knew the truth of the gospel was. And completely sold out to a further kingdom, knowing that this home was not his final destination. Some could say that this message this morning definitely hits older people more than younger people. But let me close with this. I think it's a life, regardless of where you are at in your age, to be able to know with confidence that this is just a tent, this is temporary, that God has an eternal home, helps us to live today the way God desires us to live, completely committed to his cause. And may we live out that truth in our life.